Susan Felth, the Citizen Kane of podcasting. Modern man is confronted with so many movies. Which ones are films? And which ones are filth? In at number one on the best list, it's strike action. All right. We're getting straight, straight, straight to the strike. Straight to the strike. Straight to the strike. That's hard to say. Okay. I worked it out. Finally. Straight to the strike? Yeah. Yeah. Well, straight to your, the strike. Your brain isn't, you know, have the messed up wiring that mine does in the speech centers, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Films and Filth. We're, we're still kind of on strike looking at strike movies movies god i can't talk this morning this is going to be exciting uh this is matt here uh it's mark you should go next <laughs> this is mark next this is luke and and today there is a person named john I, uh, john arminio hello hi thanks for having me on i appreciate it i'm going to try to get the name right this time Pop- popcorn eschaton did i get your podcast right yes sir you did Okay, because I intentionally didn't look it up. I was like, my memory can handle this. I can't talk today, but my memory can handle it. So, uh, and you brought today's film to our attention. I assume. Well, Mark and I haven't heard of it. I'm assuming Luke had had not heard of this film. I had not. Yeah, that I would have been kind of surprised if you did. So, uh, John, you brought this one to us, which is relatively pertinent for the the current situation and a recalibration of our our podcasting. So, uh. How did you come across this one? Yeah, so uh, Salt of the Earth from 1954 um, is a movie that I had known about for a long time, um, but I'd only seen it uh, earlier this year. And, you know, it's sort of a notorious movie made during the height of the Red Scare in the 50s by people... A notably writer Michael Wilson and uh, director Herbert J. Biberman, who were blacklisted. And so they sort of said, hey, what can they do to us? Knock, lock us up for contempt again. And they made um, a stridently pro-union, pro-labor, anti-capitalist movie uh, about, um, in actuality, it was a copper mine strike uh, in New Mexico um organized by largely mexican-american miners um and it's firmly on the side of of the strikers and it's the pretty much at, at this point the only movie in hollywood history to look at um how a strike works how a union works how uh organized action can be effective and it also uh, takes a look at how sort of the the, the internet intersectionality of being like um like a, a a woman minority in a poor community and how that affects both your status in society and um and your relationship to organized labor you know think of the only like something similar i'd seen in film to this which is 15 i mean i saw the movie this year but 15 years ago oceans 12 has this really stupid sequence of Casey Affleck like starting accidentally starting la- a labor strike in similar conditions, which um, 
puts a wrinkle in their their heist plans or whatever. Or is that mm. Ocean's Thirteen? It's one of the Ocean's movies. Maybe it's Thirteen. But uh, yeah, it's like that's such a like kind of goofy, funny version of this. You'd kind of expect it to be the other way around, where they didn't take it seriously in 1954 and did you know in the 21st century. But uh, I yeah, guess that's I mean, Hollywood for you. <laughs> the most prominent union movie, especially in this decade, was on the waterfront. And that's a movie where the union is the villains and the whistleblower is the good guy. So, so this is a, a completely a complete flip on that idea. And there have been union movies before, but they had always come under sort of the fire of uh, the Breen Office and the Hayes Code, which you know were very, yeah, you know, they had their antenna up for any even slightly communist messaging in those movies. And they were communists singing as hard. I, I mean, I think that was a the thing. They're calling us communists. So, hey, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and recently, the only time I've seen unions in movies has been in gangster movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like Once Upon a Time in America, which keeps coming up. Yeah. <laughs> we, we basically see Treat Williams as the guy who's the union guy. We barely see anything he does except for. Uh, he shows up on TV and Robert De Niro is like, oh, he's a liar. <laughs> you know, it's just there isn't <laughs> much to it at all. It's it's almost like intentionally veiling any of that stuff. Um, yeah, like, there's there's two really great union movies from later. Uh, Blue Collar, uh, directed and written by Paul Schrader, um, which is a great movie. But that, that deals more with the like three guys who are really down to their luck and their relationship with how terrible their union is specific specifically and how the terrible their company's treating them. And then there's John Sales's uh Matewan from 1987. That's an extraordinary movie about um the the Appalachian Coal War in the 1920s where you know, like mining companies literally used airplanes to bomb strikers and like poisoned milk that they knew children would drink like they did some real war crime kind of stuff to american citizens so uh, highly recommend that movie um and like you mentioned coming in this movie kind of doubles down like uh, we're not finished with it we're not it's just not the union stuff but we're going to toss in some uh, women's rights for good measure yep. also uh the 50s not you know notoriously maybe not being the best time for women's rights Certainly so. not. <laughs> well well this feels um I, i'm fully radicalized so you know perhaps biased this movie feels a lot more like it is trying to tell me uh, it's trying to show me the virtues of feminism than it is trying to show me the virtues of communism at least that's the read i get from it is that yeah uh, it, it feels like it it assumes that you don't want the women to to pick it where i was clearly just like yeah go pick because <laughs> let the let the women go kick all the cops asses please do but um but also it takes the very uh, probably radical for the time perspective of the men learn things in this. Yeah. <laughs> they they do, and people talk to each other. And really, these are uh, probably some of the best, most realistic, realized characters in any film that we've watched for this podcast so far. I feel like the, the dialogue's very natural. People joke with each other. Uh, people seem to respect each other who work together. They, they discuss... I don't know. They discuss their biases openly. Well, yeah, there's, lot, there's... there's lots of little character moments that, like, I don't usually expect to see when I watch films this old. 
just little jokes between characters who are not even major characters, little things. It's yeah, it is very well made. And, yeah, and it's, usually it's... when we watch a film this old, we point out something that's missing, and I couldn't really spot anything this time. Um, it's really interesting. Surprised, like you know how. Um... It's a testament to the film's naturalism because it's definitely influenced by like like European neorealist movies of of you know like the the late forties and early fifties, and uh, and that helps bring out those character moments, especially in the script and, and in how it's filmed in such a naturalistic way. Because so many of these actors are you know non professionals, they were actual miners um, from the area, uh, and so with that that. Like you don't need professional actors to to communicate the story because it's so like ingrained in these uh, people's experiences, and you can see that on screen. Like the the woman who plays Esperanza, and then like a um like one of the the cops and the um like the union the company representative. Like those are the only professional actors on the movie. Everybody else was like friendly locals or uh, actual miners. That's uh, Rosara. Oh man, I I just got my dug my hole for myself for pronouncing her name. Sorry, yeah. Revelitas. I I sure I didn't get that correct at all. But yeah, this is the only movie she made in America. She would have made more movies in America, but they yeah. didn't let her make any after this because she was, she was a, actually <laughs> she was deported because of this movie. Mm. I guess well, yeah, could, this is. Oh, yeah. Not going to be much of a stepping stone for anybody, unfortunately. No, no. Oh, yeah. Except for except for onto our podcast. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's we're a, looking at sixty years later, seventy years later. You know, sure, why not? Seven, the <laughs> seven point four out of ten on IMDb, which is higher than our usual uh, things that we bring ourselves. Well, we've been, you know, especially after Halloween, we've definitely upped the schlock button, which is fun. You know, you don't you want to watch fun, creepy, stupid stuff for October, which is most. I mean, I, we had a few good choices, I think, but it, it, you know, we were watching goofier stuff. So now we have to come crashing back down to to Earth with a serious movie. Um, before I get too far, I this is this is one where I probably should read the plot in case someone didn't watch it, but it is mm-hmm. very much on YouTube and you can watch it and. Yeah, reasonable-ish quality, and I, I would I'll recommend say. it. Even if you think you won't like it, I think that if you if you if you like the idea of of like a a gripping drama, then definitely watch this. But well, there's a tab on, on Wiki here that just says the full film that you can click on. So I guess you could do that if you uh-huh. wanted. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> working conditions at Delaware Zinc in Zinctown, New Mexico, started bad and are only getting worse. The union strikes, the company refuses to negotiate, and worker Ramon Quintero is unjustly beaten by police and imprisoned while his wife Esperanza gives birth to their third child. The company obtains a legal injunction that bars the miners from picketing, so the women of the community take their place on the picket line instead. Ramon will not allow Esperanza to join the other ladies, but she eventually does so anyway, new baby in hand. The man, that's the man with a capital M, of course, responds by temporarily tossing the leading women and their children into jail. The final straw comes the next day as the company attempts to evict the Quintero family from their company-owned home. The community stands up in solidarity to fight the eviction, which finally drags the company to the bargaining table. No proletariat revolution quite yet, though, at least not in this movie. 
but I guess that's the difference between this and say like an Eisenstein. This, that one would end with your your uh, revolution. <laughs> it, and it ends realistically. Mm. It's realism. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah, realistic I was just wondering... without that automatically meaning like hopeless and miserable, which is often mm. what realistic means when people use that word to describe films. I suppose there's yeah. supposed to be a glimmer of hope. That sort of thing. Well, yeah, it's like there is. They they struck. They yeah, they, they were won, on right? the strike. Yeah, they won the strike after what was it? Seven months? Eight? A little more than <laughs> several months. Sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. In real life, the strike was successful as much as a a, a strike from Mexican American miners can be in in the 1950s in America. Although, because I mean, if you're if you're bummers... our age, if you're Ma Maya and Matt's age, um, you know, w one of the earliest strikes we heard about was the Eastern Airlines strike, which basically Reagan just destroyed yeah. everything over it. Well, I'm um, from Europe where strikes regularly work. <laughs> what an idea. Yeah, you know, in historical uh, retrospect, like that action by Reagan, like was really sort of the death knell for union action for the, like the next 35 years in America, un unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so we're getting a real resurgence in it over the last five years, uh, thankfully. And, I, and I, so I think the conversation around this movie has, has increased um, during that time. Well, it's sort of a similar situation now where things have gotten so bad that they, that it's like, we need action. <laughs> and that's yeah. exactly what this film is. It's just, things get so bad and then they continue to get worse yeah, I mean, just in the states it's that whole like dream of the 90s you know well, that's when mark and i were running around as teenagers nobody cares everything's mm -hmm. great you would why would anybody need to strike but yeah um when i started trying to get a job in america i mean i live in japan now partly because just every job i got was kind of a uh you know felt like a scam and there there were no unions to join i mean i've never been part of a union so uh <laughs> I have for one year. It's a mixed bag, but it right. wasn't a particularly strong union, and mm. it was a, a film industry related thing. And they went on strike and didn't get very much for it uh, a couple of years ago. And that's unrelated to this strike. Mm. Right. So a bummer story. Uh, I, I was in this... a supermarket union for like nine years, but I mean, we still had absolutely miserable wages. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember when uh, the supermarket chain Publix came to town and they were non-union and it, there were people striking outside for like protesting a non-union grocery store coming to town. That wouldn't happen now. That actually, was uh, like early 90s. Actually, I, I you know, my, my parents just came to visit and my mom was so happy to give me this Publix bag from Georgia. Um <laughs> Boo. And, and no, actually like, it's cool it has pumpkins on it no no it's fine she's like oh Publix is good because it's owned by the employees I'm like what does that mean does, is that their excuse for not having a union or something <laughs> is it is it a co-op I'm not, I'm not even sure I don't think so um, well maybe it's like Moog where they were owned 49% by the employees um, I'm sure Matt knows what I'm talking about but uh, to any of the other listeners basically the oldest synthesizer company in the in the world that's the most important was bought out and then subsequently destroyed and all their employees were fired or most of them were and uh manufacturing was entirely moved from US to uh China so 
Oh, really? I didn't know that. I'm glad I oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the factory. There, there's all these memes where the fact the Moog factory has a spirit Halloween sign on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's that's you, you just hang on to your Voyager over there, bud. Yeah. <laughs> you hang on to it. But anyway, talk about the whole Publix thing. I was just like, okay, let, let, let's be straight. There are several things that my mom said in the car as a relatively old lady that I would not want to repeat on this podcast. So now I'm curious if that's like a veiled comment about it actually being quite horrible that it's owned by the employees. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, I, I, I guess have I heard companies described as like owned by the employees before. Um. But I've never, yeah, I'm also not usually quite sure what it means. The Jenkins I, family yeah. holds a major stake in the company. However, the operation is entirely employee-owned. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, that's... Well, I uh, mean, yeah, t typically, like, that that's described, at least in America, as a co-op, so that... Oh, uh, the... 80%. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. Jenkins family owns 80%. The employees oh. own the rest. Oh, employee-owned okay. company. They own the scraps, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so when a when the employees own the majority of the company that that means that you know the company can't make any decisions without the em employees consent so that's you know advantageous to a local community so so let's say in a socialist utopia <laughs> or something <laughs> uh, the the citizens of detroit would own the the car manufacturers that are there so that the citizens of Detroit would then have to approve any time that factory would be moved out of town or out of country. Mm. Um, and so it's so in theoretically it would be very beneficial for Detroit to have the citizens own that factory because who would vote to have their own jobs be vacated? Yeah. So that's why a co-op is typically like a coffee shop where there's 15 or 20 employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there are a couple of game companies that operate like that. Um, I believe that the guys who make Dead Cells are a co-op, and there are a couple of other ones that I can't think of off the top of my head. But yeah, it's that's something that probably should be more prevalent. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was assuming we would get onto video games eventually on this podcast because that is definitely a an industry where unionization is badly needed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's one of the most exploited group of people to, on Earth right now, but aside from I mean, VFX artists. Yeah, I was just reading yeah. an article this morning about that, where it's like, what, September? Just like two months ago is when all the Marvel VFX people actually decided maybe we should start. Well, I started a union. I guess they'd already been thinking about mm -hmm. it, but yeah. Well, they voted, like, yeah. That late in the game? That's crazy. It was two months ago. Well, I remember yeah, reading I, about busy. back in Endgame, um, like the scene where Tony Stark's dying, they didn't do any makeup on set because makeup artists do unionize and VFX people or not. Mm -hmm. So it made more man. sense financially to just like special effects his face on. It's, it's yeah. yeah, that's a, apparently very common with those films. You yeah. imagine just <laughs> if you imagine that all that stuff, all that junk at the end looking just 20% better just because they paid yeah. for it. <laughs> what an idea. You know, because I work at a, a comic book store and, you know, that's another industry where the artists and creators of all that, you know, superhero content have been historically uh, ravaged for their 
you know, intellectual property. And, you know, still there's creators who are being exploited and not credited, you know, like how many writers and artists get actual writing credits in Marvel movies. It's like zero, mm-hmm. even though they created those characters yeah. that are up there. And, yeah, I mean, you know, re- recently this um, company called Aftershock Comics um, declared bankruptcy and um, they had sold several of their um, comics as options to various streaming companies. And, you know, the creators got absolutely zero notice for that and because they declare bankruptcy they're not even getting paid for the work making those comics but they could just get away with that because there's no comic book creator union i believe that's called getting fingered yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. well i remember if if that's not the official term it should i get it (laughs) (laughs) i've recently been um reading and watching a lot of stuff about like image comics and todd mcfarlane and how they broke away from marvel because of all of that stuff Mm. And then as soon as Todd McFarlane was in charge, he started treating his writers and artists yeah, the exact yeah. same way. Like, he's a real hypocrite. Mm. And he sucks. That's the, yeah, yeah, the absolute to... power thing, you know? <laughs> it's one thing to, to hear about like the creators of Superman dying penniless, um, you know, 80 years after nobody thought comic books were going to do anything. But then there's stuff where, I don't know, Ed Brubaker created Winter Soldier back when comic book movies were not a huge deal. And then you know he's still alive, still putting out really good stuff, and sees the three hundred million dollar, whatever, fifteen movie deal with uh, Sebastian Stan, and probably gets yeah. nothing out of that or very little. Titled after the character he created. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, that's that's awful. What I always hate with that conversation is when you bring it up to like a comic book fan, and their argument is like, "Well, they signed the contract; it's legal." And it's the old, yeah, legal doesn't mean good and right. <laughs> okay. I mean, you could, yeah, you could go down a wormhole of a record label stuff. Like, there's a, I just saw an article that record labels are going to try to make it hard or impossible for artists to re record any of their music within well, whatever the, 30 years. Because that is infuriating when you think about it. Like, they've just, you know, that you, if you care about music, if any music at all, you've, You've loved an artist who's been just absolutely screwed by a record label at some point. Looks yeah. like John Fogarty record labels have turned. Songs. Yeah, record labels have turned the most famous musician in the world to a champion of the little guy. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's a better than the time when they tried to do that with Trump. If you're far right, <laughs> the champion wow. of the little guy, Donald Trump. What? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, you know, I would I would trust Taylor Swift to do like a fall test for me, a stranger, much more than do- I would trust Donald Trump to even um, what buy me a hot dog if if he owed me a thousand dollars. Be a fantastic <laughs> hot dog, the best. I'm sorry, that was a messed up that, metaphor, but you know. I was about to say that metaphor was uh, not fully formed when you started opening your mouth. <laughs> it was the hot like dog of metaphors. Thinking. We could see you thinking as it was happening. And it was kind of stressful, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to keep you guys on your toes. Um, for me, I don't know uh, if this resonated with you. The thing, I guess, you know, like, oh, labor stuff. Of course, I've seen some of that. But the one that really got me was when they first are talking about the fact that they might get kicked off of their land. And the one guy just kind of mumbles like, my grandfather owned this land. You know, yeah. 
<laughs> and I'm like, whoa, that's because yeah. they don't reference that a whole lot that, you know, this isn't the only issue with, with uh, this community. Well, that gets into the one thing that I do find kind of weird about this whole movie is like they're talking about this was our land. We were here first and the Anglos came. But they're like the Spanish, right? They're not the Mayans. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, a yeah, there's blood. a whole line of exploitation. Um, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, I think by this point, the Mexican people were uh, very much like a, a mixed people, yeah. as opposed to the, the Spanish. But yeah, yeah, this this area of the world, you know, was conquered several times, and the Americans were just, as of this point, the last to do it. Yeah. I mean, the, but, uh, but I, the Mexicans that I know do identify more with. They identify with that country and its history more than they do the you know the Europeans who came over. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that, that's kind of how I read that situation. I was basically, um, yeah, they they're, they probably are mixed, but I was thinking of people that have been there. Well, of course, this is also New Mexico. You know, it's it's better mm-hmm. than old Mexico. It's a new one, so new and improved <laughs> Mexico. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this this is more about racism than it is about yeah. uh, land ownership, yeah, and really, it's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. A, it's kind of a refreshing look at racism because people sort of talk about it openly, and it's, there's not a there there are obviously are some highly dramatized like but but the part where um the the early on in the film when the guy says well if you won't do it I'll find an American and the music goes dun 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 and then. I put in my notes, an American wouldn't do that, ha ha ha. And then immediately they talk about how Americans aren't going to do that. So yeah, <laughs> um, so it's you know pretty realistic as far as I can. I don't know. Yeah, it was a more realistic racism than a lot of racism films end up being. There is frequent yeah. talk about how you know the Anglo miners have better treatment, better pay. In other camps, they might have running water. What an idea! Um, yeah, so I, I think that's that sort of you know bigotry and and racism is used as a way to manipulate the Anglo miners. So yes, that's such money, a good yeah, point when they, they bring that yeah. up. Yeah, the mining company can say, "Well, we're paying you more than the these Mexicans, so you should feel lucky for how fortunate and well treated you are." And then he makes the great point that's like, well, then, yeah, then equality is going to help both of us. Yeah. yeah that, that's an, that's an issue addressed uh, really well in, in Meituan when um, the, the the white miners go on strike. And so then the company brings in African-American scabs mm. to work the mine. So to, to create strife between different populations of miners. Well, I mean, a lot of racism exists because there's a class divide and so people mm-hmm. at the bottom of the, the class divide are like well who can i kick down to other oh, races yeah. you know yeah and then in those races who can i kick down to the women right and she again that's this film even addresses yes. that mm-hmm. yeah it's like, like someone well, thought about the maybe. script or michael wilson thought about the script as he was writing it you know yeah <laughs> i guess that's the nice thing of this being basically completely unhinged from hollywood is, yeah. Um, you have these creatives finally just like, well, we can do whatever we want. So, uh, of course, I got kicked out of a few mm-hmm. towns in the process. Uh, filming yeah. this, like yeah. towns where, like, you know, film here and you'll leave in black boxes. I think it's literally one of the quotes. Well, people were shooting, we, yeah. firing guns yeah. over the set while they were filming it or over the 
field. Um, but this reminds me of Citizen Kane in a way, in that way, where it's it it is good because somebody was just allowed to make something pure. Yeah. And, and that, that's like, and also, sad, really, if you yeah. think about it. Like we could have had a lot of movies this good, and we probably yeah. <laughs> were robbed of them because of the uh, just how things were, the establishment. And, and it like also makes year. me, it, you know, like frustrated when you know if a movie from the sixties or seventies exhibits a certain kind of racism, and you know, audience will be like, "Well, that's just you know, that was normal for the time." Mm. And this is a movie made in nineteen fifty four, where it was acknowledging that it's normal for the time and that's bad. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's maybe we shouldn't excuse. I'm not, I, I don't want to certainly not, I don't want to censor any movies. I don't want to excise them from the record, but I don't think we should be making excuses for racism just because it was 40 years ago. I think we, we, we should be free to acknowledge it when, it, when we see it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another point I was going to say, it was like the closest film we've had to like, a film that tries to talk about these kind of issues recently was like Barbie this year. Mm. And it's mm. so like manacled by the fact that it's a corporate property that yeah. they're like, we'll pay lip service to all these ideas, but like, but no, 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 everything's fine though. Luke, I was about to say like, uh, I, I was like, I'll let Luke go first, but I was about to say, uh, as you know, I juxtapose movies like weirdo and was actually, juxtaposing this with a rewatch Barbie. <laughs> so I'd watch like 20 minutes of this and then 20 minutes of Barbie and, and like what you're oh, saying man. I was like what's they both have the angle but Barbie yeah Barbie seems a little blunted because it can't say just like rip Mattel down cuz Mattel's you know um <laughs> owns the IP or whatever. So Yeah, so before like, I went and saw Barbie people have been talking about it like oh it's this feminist masterpiece. And then you watch the film and it's like yeah sure they mention a lot of buzzwords, but at the end of the day, what do they actually do? Nothing, because they're still trying to sell dolls to little girls. But I think that's the advantage of of using a director like Greta Gerwig, who's able to communicate, you know, feminist and anti-patriarchy messages in like a big, sparkly, fun musical. And yeah, it's not going to be as as nuanced or you know as gritty as, as Salt of the Earth. But if we can, if if a movie can have a bell hooks joke and make a billion dollars, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, I did like and appreciate my I'm not yeah. trying to shit on it completely, yeah. but it's just the way people talked about it compared to what it actually was. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. So saw, saw the earth is quite double barreled. I mean, like again, like I was saying, if you just took on women's rights this hard or just took on labor rights this hard. That's already a movie, and it could be a very good movie, but this is like, no, both, same time, go, 90 minutes. That's great. <laughs> it's a it's a discussion with, with itself and with the audience. It's, yeah, it's pretty brilliant. Um, and obviously, like I said, I don't need to be, I don't need to be pitched feminism or socialism, but I, I appreciate that this, the audience this movie was talking to However small that audience probably actually was because probably like 50 people saw this until 1970 something when it kind of came out for real. (laughs) Uh, I I found the vote tallies interesting uh, because when they vote to go on strike, it's like 193 to five. I'm like, who are those five assholes? But when it's (laughs) when when it's it's realistic, right? I mean, it's it's, um, and then the, the numbers 
come back when it's vote when the vote comes up for the women to go on strike and it's just almost even and then everyone's right, kind of like grumble, grumble, grumble. right right it's you know it's very dramatic and interesting and uh and the women get get to do their thing and they destroy cars and it rules anyway In, yeah, yeah i'm just getting excited thinking about it i yeah. also found interesting that they make the company of course look like a bunch of um insensitive pricks um but the mm -hmm. real vitriol in this movie seems to be for for the uh law enforcement right mm -hmm. um because the sheriff you know you don't trust the smiling sheriff or you know it's not i mean the company's obviously asking them to do this but it you know it's the the stormtroopers that uh, have to come in and mm -hmm. I mean, they seem very happy well, to be doing it as well. But I guess that's the creepy part. Oh yeah, the police but, exist to defend capital. Yeah, like yeah, well, this, is, this is one of the most accurate depictions of police in a film. That's the yeah, funny they're, thing, they're... is that or funny? I don't know if "funny" is the right word. The scene where they're beating Ramon is completely uh, wild for a film of this vintage, but it's exactly what we'd expect from a movie now, mm. or maybe even from twenty years ago. Yeah, you know, they they it takes like four police officers to repossess a radio from a pregnant woman, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also well, she, um, she even says in that scene, right? Like, no, they want you to start a fight. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's what um the police want now. You know, yeah, they know they're being filmed. Um, and so if you're protesting racist action by the police, they want the world to see how violent they they can retaliate against protesters i mean i um, live right near cop city i'm sure you've heard of that yeah um i have not cop city cop maybe city I to, maybe i explain that <laughs> oh well they're uh trying to tear down a huge amount of forest to build a training facility that's not necessary and is in fact just a massive milita militarization facility with you know I think they're getting a tank or something. Oh, so they're not protesting. Just they're they, not they rebooting the police academy movies. Then they shot a protester thirty-seven Dang. times who had their hands up. Okay. And, uh, they said that they said the protester shot first. Uh, their body cams. They didn't have body cams. The uh, Georgia State Patrol. Um. Then th there is a, an audio that was caught where someone says, "You shot one of your own." <laughs> that that is on on tape. Uh, okay. The the, the uh, officers were not prosecuted for that murder. Um, the the protests are still ongoing. The protests are going on all over the country about this because everyone knows that um, Atlanta had already in advance booked other like police from other parts of the country to use that training facility. Uh, there are a lot of contracts. It, it's it's a huge thing. So yeah, and it's basically a for profit exercise. We, you know, one of the slogans is Cop City will never be built, and I hope that holds true, but I'm also um, too fragile to go down there and and get beat to death protesting it, but I respect everyone who everyone who does, and uh, to fuck Cop City. Oh, that's a question we should ask then. Um, what protests have we all been to? Very little, unfortunately. When I was working with hippies, I went to a couple um, anti-golf, not golf, well, whatever that one was in 2003, the second golf war in Portland, Maine. We'd go, there were a few weekends we went and hung out there. But then after that, we go get a nice dinner. So I don't know. It feels a little disingenuous. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I Can walked out of and then go get a nice dinner. <laughs> I walked out of middle school because of the Rodney King beating. I don't know if that counts. Mm. Probably not, but yeah, I went to a couple during the that um, glut of protests after George Floyd. Mm-hmm. That was pretty intense. Yeah, I went to. I also went to um, Iraq War ones, although I was thirteen and skipping school to go to them. Yeah, I, I went but, to. I actually, I was in college when those were happening, and um, yeah, me and a couple friends went to New York, and we did absolutely nothing to prevent the war. So that, yeah. that, that kind of dis- disillusioned me. I protested for a while. Uh, yeah. Also, we were like driving by. I was like, hey, we should, you know, we didn't hear about it. We, just, we should join that. So we just went and, you know, we didn't really plan it. We just ended up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have friends who who protest a lot and I respect them tremendously. I'm an insanely anxious person. Mm-hmm. I guess, a coward. Uh, you know, the anti-protest kind of uh, when... Obama was inaugurated and people were like, you know, super happy about it at the time, at least. Uh, I, I, I went to Centennial Park in Atlanta where they were having like kind of a big shindig for that. That was kind of that was like an anti-protest, though. People were happy. That's I think that's a celebration. Yeah, that's but yeah, but it's, it's like a political <laughs> celebration, I guess. I don't know. I'm just yeah. I'm trying, to, I mean, trying to stretch the taffy on this question, I guess. It's not without risk, considering how many racists were super down for violence after we got a black president yeah for sure and the deep south yeah um, mm-hmm. although atlanta i guess could say a waiver from being the deep south but uh. who the hell knows <laughs> i see a lot of protests here in japan but it's like protests about foreign wars just just in the street where no one involved is i, I respect mm. them i like it but it's like i don't know what they're hoping to achieve by just standing outside nakano train station and protesting like there's the a lot Gaza of uh, nuclear protests. I guess that's a little more pertinent. Those are fairly regular, yeah. And obviously, you see those in Hiroshima where it does make sense. We also have the political trucks that roll around blasting uh, slogans, so that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, I've like always sometimes... said when I when I can vote here, I'll vote for whichever party doesn't have a truck driving around <laughs> blasting our slogans. <laughs> yeah, especially where you live. <laughs> I, I, you know, I get them a little more rarely. There's a big bridge, like, about 50, 100, eh, 100 meters from my house, so usually if I get annoyed by one, it's because it's over there and my window's open, so, yeah. I mean, actually, and I, I know exactly what party I'm voting for when I get my citizenship because Japan still has a functional communist party, so. <laughs> Amazing. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, think- I, I I do wonder, like, in, in Salt of the Earth, um, I know the this uh, the this mining union that the movie is based on. They were, they were kicked yeah. out of the larger union organization for for apparent communist ties, and so I uh, wonder how many of these people would have identified as communists at the time, because I think most of the world identified communism with like Stalinism and, and yeah, yeah. Maoist ideas. So it's, so even if you fit the definition of a communist, you might not, even for yourself, might not want to call yourself that because of the stigma of the term, uh, you know, because I think it's, it's certainly politically like in America, political suicide to call yourself a communist or even a socialist. But I, I would assume at the time it, it, it would just like, that that's just a non-story. It, it wouldn't be political suicide. It would be literal suicide. You would be shot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, today, like, ask the average person on the street what communism means, and it's like mm-hmm. 
oh communists are the people who want the they want black women in video games or whatever like it's <laughs> no one knows what the word even means yeah when you ask like people can be very very communist but they would never describe themselves as that mm-hmm. because communist it just means bad it just means bad and different yeah, it's like yeah. We, we don't even talk about populism like it's a thing and populism was sort of this huge overlap with the trump thing even though all of that was lies but still it's mm. like a lot of what people wanted from trump was sort of a version of socialism twisted through a weird funhouse mirror <laughs> i don't know well, that's I, it like so messed up the thing which uh, quote unquote liberals refuse to admit is that working people have genuine concerns and Trump was never going to fix them, but at least he addressed them, right? Yeah, what basically. they actually need is communism, but yeah. they're not going to get that. They're going to get Hillary Clinton's and Joe Biden saying, like, no, 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 status quo is fine. Let's carry on as is. I'm very That's why, like, in, in 2016, you heard a lot of people say, well, I'd vote for either Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump. Mm. It's like, yeah, like, I, it sounds like you're not paying attention to the substance of their <laughs> arguments, but 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 that that the the sort of everyman appeal of both of those guys, you know, hit hit a core for people. Even though Trump was literally crapping in a golden toilet, like it's literal. It's I I've, I honestly feel like this honestly ties into Hollywood having way too much sway over us, is because we almost don't have a left and right. We have a feel good and feel angry. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, oh, I yeah the, the so-called American left would be considered right in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember as Bill Hicks or George Carlin because I was playing them both in the car recently. But, you know, the idea like, hey, vote for me, says the puppet here. Vote for me, says the other puppets. The same motherfucker could draw on the puppets. <laughs> well, Matt, yeah. you had a line that you often use, which I assume you stole from somewhere. But you would always say that um, Hillary won the vote, but Bernie won the argument. Did I say that? Yeah. That sounds too smart. Yeah, you used for me. to say that a lot. Yeah, that's why I assumed you stole it from a podcast or something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good. good job but, stealing yeah. that. That's good. Yeah, I, you know, like in America, I, I think the Republican Party, or you know, what it's mutated into for over the last forty years, um, has done such a good job of shifting the conversation in the political center in America to the right, and the Democratic Party has failed. To come up with a way to pull it back and so the democratic party is just so dedicated to like keeping things the status quo and so we're going to keep people like joe biden in power even though they have no fresh ideas and they're 80 years old that they they have no answer to you know maga rhetoric and so it's very frustrating mm-hmm. you know when you know, people want gun control or health care or whatever, but neither party has has a solution. And and you can see that if any effort is put forth by those specific Democrats, they have to stealth it. Like, remember when yep. Obama ran on, I approve of civil unions, but not gay marriage. And then he had to slip it in five years later. It's just sort of this thing yep. where that would have been political suicide in 2008, which is wild. Something that is completely well, should be completely legal. Is completely legal. Some places was Japan's political a good suicide. Twenty years behind. Last year's yeah. um head uh, last year last week's headline was the prime minister giving a very wishy washy uh, statement. Well, since it's illegal, it probably shouldn't happen. Says my very conservative party. <laughs> Meanwhile, but, the uh, Guitar Wolf's movie Wild Zero was a super pro trans movie about. 25 years ago 
Oh, yeah, yeah, we're uh, talking culture versus politics. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's such a fascinating thing about Japan is the the cultural, the laissez-faire culture, but the, um, like, political conservatism. Yeah, people are just not actually very interested in the mainstream politics or the law. Like, even generally, like, there's what the law says, and there's what everyone agrees is the law in Japan. With, with a lot of things, like with um, the, it's not a very big example, but at all of the train stations, there's the escalators, and everyone stands on one side so that people can go walking on the the free side. All of the official rules are like, please do not walk on the escalators, but mm. the accepted rule is you stand to one side so people can walk on the escalator, and that's just how Japan treats everything. It doesn't matter yeah. what the rules say; it's what everyone agrees is the rule. I live in I live in the United States where somebody just stands in the middle of the escalator and you have to say excuse me and maybe they'll listen to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the recent thing would be for the pandemic. Uh, everybody in Japan was basically following the protocol, but there was no policy or law. I mean, there's a policy, but there was no like mm-hmm. you know law or statute in place for that stuff. Oh yeah, they I mean, actually they it... dropped the mask sort of su- suggestion or whatever you want to call it. And I, for about a month, everyone stopped wearing masks. And I've noticed most people are just wearing them again now because I guess they were like, oh, we stopped wearing masks and people are catching COVID. So I guess we should just put them back on. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing in that's in um, East Asian cultures is to, to wear a mask when you're sick. Yeah. I was hoping maybe more countries in the West would sort of adopt that. But um, nope. You know, part of why I got COVID in March 2020 was because I was worried about it, but I was afraid that if I wore a mask, people would stare at me. And uh, I got COVID. So, um, and you know, people stared at me for wearing a mask for the three years afterwards. (laughs) And the end. No, I I know where I got my COVID. That was a, uh, in a, in a class, a five-year-old girl coughing on me for 50 minutes straight. And two days later I had it. So, yeah, I was like, okay, I know where I got that from. <laughs> so that was a, yeah. Um, film. So I have an important question. Oh, yeah, go for that first. Luke, is there a, a Pokemon game with Zinc Town? Um, not quite. I think all the towns in Gold and Silver were named after metals. And all the towns in Ruby and Sapphire are named after ores. But I don't think any of them were as obvious as Zinc. All right. I thought you were going to ask him. To check. I thought you were going to ask him. There's a Pokemon game with a labor strike. Uh, there is a Pokemon game where the bad guy team are like trying to basically get all the Pokemon to go on strike, but then it turns out that it's just because they want no one else to have Pokemon so that they can be unopposed. Uh, so that's kind of the opposite that of Salt of the Earth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, when you sent me the YouTube link and it's a film called Salt of the Earth and it said documentary, for a brief second, I genuinely thought we were watching a documentary about salt. <laughs> I thought wasn't doesn't salt of the earth mean older people, but at the end the quote was about it was about children or the salt of the earth. Okay, that's a good point. I've never really you, when you if you salt the earth it dies, right? Yeah, it's a it's a confusing idiom for sure. <laughs> children salt the earth. I, I, I have been thinking like what exactly does that mean? You, you know, I like I kind of have a vague understanding of what it means, but yeah, like now we're like okay, let's define it. I'm like. Didn't make any sense. Uh, the first result, <laughs> yeah. uh, noun, one, a most worthy person, two, a decent, dependable, unpretentious person. Okay. So but then, just but cool then, people. 
then their their kids are cool, man. They went to jail. They were just like sticking their tongue out at the cops. These kids were down. Oh yeah, sorry. Just uh, before before I you know start getting to any concluding things, I just have to throw in one thing where I was giggling a little bit in this movie when uh, the kids are like, hey, the scab's over the hill, and then it turns into, like, a western with no horses for, like, three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, they're just running around chasing each other in the desert, and I'm like, this is a western with no horses. That I found that weirdly amusing, so. Okay, that was my thought, thought there. Um, yeah, that was. Of course, we're still in the, the Netherlands of not the top 100 or the bottom 100, but let's put this on the, uh, how much of film, how much filth i mean to me oh man yeah i'm watching on digital and i feel the filmy quality coming through maybe because of that uh you know um realistic style i forgot the proper name for that i was surprised i mean i'm i'm usually realism the pro old i'm one of the pro old film people i was surprised at how much i enjoyed this i liked it more than a lot of the top guys yeah it took 20 minutes to click but then i was like oh this actually Mm -hmm. is something like a little different so that's Mm -hmm. uh a big plus it's absolutely a film although i think it was officially filth in the eyes of the uh, the film boards at the time of release it's the only film to be blacklisted i mean people were blacklisted the only one film to be blacklisted apparently yeah because they couldn't make them otherwise this is very much guerrilla filmmaking so yeah, and, and you know, uh, um, the Herbert J. Biber, uh, Biberman wasn't, you know, he was a, a, a um, you know, a, a kind of a jobber director, but Michael Wilson, he, uh, he has uncredited writing, um, writing credits. Well, he's uncredited on um, Bridge Over the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia and A Place in the Sun. Like, he's a big deal right. talent, mm-hmm. uh, and so for him to have to like hide that because of his political affiliations is really sad and you have to wonder how many other people were stifled um or or continue to be stifled for their for their beliefs in in america um there is only one one star review for this it's kind of long i think i'll just read the first paragraph and the last paragraph and and please wait till i finish to start yelling um (laughs) (laughs) i've already read it go ahead doesn't take long for communist theme to emerge Dale Holmgren. Okay. I love that communists are blacklisted, not by Congress, but by Hollywood for agreeing with Leninism, which one of its founding tenets is that capitalist countries must be violently overthrown. Then they go out and make a film that proves they are communists. Uh, He goes on for quite a while. It's hard to know which is more wretched, the script, the acting, or the editing, reminiscent of Tommy Wiseau's The Room. But above all, the wretchedness is in the ham-handed depiction of unions. It's all good. Illinois has lost tens of thousands of jobs to the South because it is not a right-to-work state. It pushes out non-union companies. So, oh, I see I'm... this uh, This writer has another review uh, for a restaurant. He says, the boot is very delicious. <laughs> uh, I could eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, 7 out of 38 found it helpful, by the way, just in, in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, that's that's just one to, you know, and it, obviously this person is coming from a different place than the people on mm-hmm. this podcast are. So. The, the <laughs> idea, you, I know you guys haven't seen The Room yet. Uh, John, have you seen The Room? I have. 
the uh, idea this film that this is, is, is <laughs> the idea that this is as bad as the room is completely insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, I mean, the just conceptually, the room is a work of an egomaniacal uh, hack with a, with a lot of money to to burn. This is the work of a group of like minded individuals coming together at great risk for themselves professionally and physically to try and and make art. Um. Yeah. yeah like, like this is the kind of thing you would hope for to, to come out of movie. Like, even if this isn't like your your cup of tea, it's kind of a beautiful thing that these people were so passionate that they wanted to make this movie together. I mean, if someone made a Trump movie that was this good, I'd at least be like, well, it's at least watchable. Well, yeah, because people do try and make Trump movies, and they're all god awful, terrible. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's just clear, yeah, it's so clear cut. You can see the trailers for them, and you're just like, oh, they obviously hired someone. They just had their friend edit it using a fr- freeware. It's just so obvious. Well, yeah, because anyone's, oh, fuck it, I just to say it. Anyone smart and talented would not have those opinions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh... <laughs> Hey Mark, do you do you want to do a ten? Yeah. Oh, uh, hold on, hold on a second. I was I was just gonna for read. I was I was just gonna read like four of the headlines. I thought that gets the point across because there's a lot of tens for this. There's only one one, lots of tens. So more than just a blacklisted film banned in the USA. That's like the two live crew. I like that <laughs> scene today. This is not at all a controversial <laughs> film. Uh, I wish that were true. Time. <laughs> yeah yeah wish show is that's maybe wishful thinking but um yes mm. a very precious and resonant look at what hollywood might have been as we were kind of saying at, at the top there so um at least yeah i i think people who dig film will get this movie uh, especially right now which was kind of i guess the point of of doing it so mm. <laughs> so did this film have like a life as a vhs tape that's being taken into union meetings and shown or was it totally just buried in a desert somewhere? It definitely got buried in the All desert right. for a little while. Uh, let me, I'll look at the legacy I, section. I believe it was, it turned into a Ray for Madness type thing where everyone's like, watch the band film. They released it as, you know, the band film from right. communism. And obviously people watched it and were like, wow, this is so much better than Ray for Madness, which is super boring. Here's what the uh, wiki says. The film, the film found a new life in the 1960s and gradually reached larger audiences through union halls, women's associations, and film schools. The 50th, yeah, that's what I was assuming. Yeah, 50th yeah. anniversary of the film saw a number of commemorative conferences. Surprisingly, Noam, Noam Chomsky praised the film and that helped. Um, <laughs> uh, and then released on DVD in 1999. So it's certainly been like findable in the past 25 mm. years for sure and well hey you can watch it on youtube for no problem yep. now so i mean the the film this is a little bit of a tangent but the film that really kind of radicalized me in high school was native son which was a i was going to bring up the not, book about 20 minutes ago and then i did yeah that's <laughs> it's not a fantastic adaptation of the book but the book is fantastic and that is mm. way more overtly communist than yeah i was going to say because i thought that had an interesting because uh, of, of bringing the main character of that book into the communist system, which I, I think was what I was going to talk about. But then, then, there, and then, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he set up for a murder? Sorry, it's been high school since I read it. I, I 
do remember it being great. Didn't know there was a movie, so um, well, I guess I'll stick with the book. There though. are three, apparently. Oh. I didn't even know that this, what I watched was the second one. Oh, music by James Mtume. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it has Matt Dillon in it. Oh, okay. Anyway. And Elizabeth McGovern from Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, wow. Okay. Anyway, it's one I of those keep dropping that, those. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to get through episodes anymore without bringing up Once in a Time in America, which is kind of depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 300 hours long, so it just contains yeah. the entirety of the film industry. You know what radicalized me? Hmm? Working in a supermarket for nine years. Oh, that'll do it. That tracks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, my first honestly, job was it an was... repair shop is way off the path. There are now Lotso Bear has the Blu-ray I bought of Once Upon a Time in America and kind of regret buying. <laughs> it's only five bucks. <laughs> well, it's like it's a long movie. I'll just get the Blu-ray, kind of. Chill oh yeah, if you're it. thinking like you know dollar per hour, that's great value. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how JRPGs used to say on the back of the box, like you know, two hundred hours of gameplay, and when you're twelve, that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, that's just great. Yeah, uh, two two hundred hours of random encounters for only seventy dollars, because they were always priced higher than the other games. But, but, honestly, but you know, what... I should have bought one of them because they're all worth a ton of money now. Uh, we were just taking turns talking about what radicalized us. Honestly, what rad- radicalized me was um, Catholicism and Star Trek. Nice, uh, right? No one should be rich. Uh, you know, it's harder for rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to pass the out of a needle and then for star trek we all should be working for a society where there's no money mm-hmm. and and there's no poverty and the environment is is gleaming and clean and free of pollution so so i was i was set on a course when i was like six years old <laughs> yeah and this I, probably see, feels more like a star trek episode than most of the things we've watched so far for this podcast bell riots um, about yeah. three quarters of the Star Trek yeah, films. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's possibly more Star Trek than everyone's favorite Wrath of Khan. Not that I, not that I don't love that movie, but it's that's more of like an, a Moby Dick movie. Yeah, yeah. I rec- that's why I that's recently... why I love four and six because they're like yeah, yeah six is political. Yeah, six is the one. I've just oh, recently yeah. been getting my girlfriend into Star Trek, and she was so I deliberately picked like the most over the top woke communist episodes. And she was like, oh, I just thought it was like, you know, spacemen fighting and se- having sex. I didn't know it was like this. She's super into it. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I, I and guess of course, for me, she, knows, she knows correctly that Picard is the best. No, I, I guess for me, it would also probably be Trek. I mean, well, I, I know John from a Trek board, so. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's not too far a stretch. Uh, did yeah, anyone have a great... No, I was just saying the great thing is that you can there is so much trick that you can just keep taking it in. I'm watching Voyager for the first time. Everybody knows that, but nice. I keep bringing it up. Yep. <laughs> um, any final thoughts about this movie before we uh, roll it into the tank? Um, I want to show it to all of our Japanese colleagues. <laughs> oh, cool. yeah, I want to show yeah. this to my mom who's <laughs> like, I think technically a conservative, but I can always reach her on the level of the uh, sort of you know, populism, workers' rights thing. I mean, she was a teacher. She was in mm. teachers' union. You're in a union. You can't, can't take, <laughs> take can't take backsies. My parents are kind of leftist, but very centrist. 
So I'm very happy that I've radicalized my brother and sister into wishing death on lots of politicians. <laughs> oh, yeah. My mom said a few things in the car last week. Oh, yeah, I've seen what your dad shares on Facebook. So. <laughs> yeah. I think he finally learned to stop doing that. But... <laughs> yeah, now he just, just uh... comments on my pictures with things like, nice trees. <laughs> I mean, to his credit, he did he did say that January 6th was bad right, right when it happened. Right. That's more than that's more than we got from a lot of people. We got to the point where he was like making these like Facebook posts about commentators on like Fox News. I had no idea what he was talking about. So (laughs) that was fine. I mean, (laughs) it's like it's like there are people I know who make posts about sports and they'll just say the name of a person and what they and some some maneuver. I was like, okay, sure. Why not? (laughs) Johnson did did a forty six thirty two. Okay, why not? That's like when people give you their Wordle scores or whatever it is. So there's at least one person on Facebook friends with who keeps posting out of context stuff about real housewives of somewhere. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And cool. Man, social media is great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If there's anything. Speaking of which, you can find this podcast on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) On what? (laughs) On what? On Twitter. I'm not calling it anything else. (laughs) (laughs) My, I keep blowing my daughter's mind because uh, a, a few days ago, I was like, oh, I, I just, oh, it was because I saw, uh, I said Twitter just showed me that Matthew Perry died when we were all in the car. And my, I was like, no, it's not mm-hmm. Twitter. It's like, it is on my phone because I never updated it. So I still have Twitter <laughs> on my phone. I <laughs> just <laughs> went to x.com and it says twitter.com. It redirected to twitter.com slash home. And it yeah. says something went wrong. Try reloading. And I keep reloading and nothing happens. So, <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's better where than- we live. Better than that, you don't need to, stuff. Better than that, <laughs> yeah. uh, support right. our 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 movement, or just listen to our podcast. Now you know what? Fuck our podcast. Go go make sure you're signed up to your union. Okay, yeah, that's our message at the end hey, of this. You episode. know what? Stop, <laughs> stop, Cop City. That's my plug. <laughs> yeah. yeah, John, you I, should I, talk I, about your podcast though, because these guys don't know about it. <laughs> sure. Uh, real exactly. quick, I, I do want to just heap praise on the the two leads of this movie. Uh, mm. so. Juan uh, Chacon, who plays Ramon, he, he was like a union leader from New Mexico. And, and originally they didn't want to cast him because he was too gentle, um, but as like a real guy. But I think mm. he does a great job. And he has this great like Anthony Quinn-esque look. Like He just looks like a rugged, handsome dude. Yeah. And then Rosara Revueltas. See, you feel my pain uh, now. Yeah, oh. <laughs> uh, but no, she, she just has such an incredible presence, um, like she's just so magnetic and just has this like iconic face that that is just hypnotizing and she she can it feels like she can bear the burden of this whole community on her shoulders so just all praise to them um so yeah uh i uh, co-host a podcast called popcorn eschaton with my friend scott thorough it's on the zebras in america feed uh we focus on religion and or left of leftism in movies doesn't have to necessarily be movies that are directly about that but we can maybe um come at them in a different angle we might be doing uh so you know we've talked about um the 36th chamber of shaolin in the past and the next episode we're going to record is um tarkovsky's andre rublev so we try and run the gamut it's a good time and i'm on twitter and Instagram at Quasar Sniffer. Andrew Rublev is one every two years. I'm like, I'm going to try watching it again, but it's so long and intimidating. Yeah. 
great movie. Very long, very yeah. intimidating. <laughs> okay. Oh. Uh, hmm? Yeah. What? Huh? Huh? Oh, I was just going to say thank oh. you for joining us, John. I was a pleasure. Oh, I'm I'm so glad you guys like this movie. Um, uh, it was it was a real pleasure to get talk talk about it with you. Yeah, oh. thanks for bringing it. This is the most appropriate film we've done since the strike started. Nice. <laughs> um, and it makes me rethink all the crazy shit I was going to bring to the table in the next couple of months. No, no I'm still going to bring crazy shit. Yeah, I probably <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Between rocks and the bond's place A devil in the deep blue trees Just what the hover captain Should go to Boston, Galilee Sea The joy of so many rainbows To chase still tripping over obstacles Mirrors don't lie, long time shall erase Got a glimpse of my original face Beat that the build is broken Yacht the headline reaches as a whale Like buzzing, walk on water Gotta pick up a gale The joy of so many Podcastio podcastius. I, th- I think I think we I think we no, I, no, I already <laughs> cut. I already cut on that silence because I was realizing Good. and Luke was uh, calling me out psychically like it's kind of uh, it's not really the time to do that one. Because <laughs> 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 I started saying, right. like this is kind of weird context to say give us some money and, and Luke was giving yeah. me a side eye. So I kind of stopped right. in midstream there. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. I, my brain was just in a weird loop. Mine was I, I, too. I did but a I'll weird cut. thing where I worked a whole bunch and then took a long nap before doing this. <laughs> I'm not usually this groggy. Well, people are. I, I, I'm terrible. If I have a nap, it's like I might as well just write the day off. I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm not a napper. <laughs> well, Mark, you're lucky. People only hear my attempted hypocrisy and not yours. Then, so <laughs> <laughs> you just cut that in and just put them back to back and then <laughs> repeat them a few times. <laughs> <laughs>